Well, this is the last message in Kingdom Proclamation. Hopefully it's not the last time we proclaim the kingdom. But I want to ask you a question. Are we on the same page with God? I mean, are, are we right in line with what he wants us to do individually, collectively? As a Bible study class, as an individual, as a family, as a church family, are we on the same page with God? Uh, now, I, I know this probably never happens with you, but it, it has happened with me that there have been times when Terry and I have not been on the same page. I know that's a shock to you. But there are times when we would not be on the same page with what to do with our kids, besides ship them off to somebody else. There have been times when we've not been on the same page with how we might discipline them or correct them or train them because they were two different people. We kind of knew, you know, if it's hard news to share, Terry shared it with Aaron because Aaron was too much like me. And if it's hard news to share with Haley, I'm the one that did it with Haley because I'm hard-headed like her. So we, we just kind of knew. But there are times when you're just not on the same page, right? I mean, in a marriage, in a family, with people you work with, I mean, have you ever left work going, if those people would just do it my way, we could all get something done. You're, not, you're just not on the same page. I mean, you know, when, when our family takes a vacation together, it's like we all need medication. Because I'm a type A, high D, and I don't believe we need to stop for anything and we need to make better time than we did the last time. Terry wants everybody to get along. Aaron wants to stop everywhere and have a party. And Haley is in the back going, if you'd listen to me, this trip would be a whole lot better. In fact, let me plan the next one. That's kind of our family. It's, it's, I mean, we need to take a counselor with us just when we get together. So sometimes we're not all on the same page. Sometimes you can't even get on the same page about where you want to go eat. Amen. Well, I want to get this. Well, I had that yesterday. <laughs> I don't like that. I had that. I don't want to go there. Well, don't ask them where they want to go. I don't want to ask them where they want to go. But what if we're not on the same page with God? What if his heart and his desire and his will, somehow we're not lined up with it like we need to be? Is our heart his heart? Is our desire his desire? Because the Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God wants people to be saved. He wants people to know Christ. He wants people to follow him and to love him. And there's no inability on God's part. By the way, we're about to go to Matthew chapter 9. There's no inability on God's part to save the lost. He has died for the world. Now, whether people make that effective in their lives or not is up to those people following what God wants in their lives. But God so loved the world. That's everybody. That's the people you don't like. That's the people that I have a hard time liking, I don't like. That's the people you disagree with. That's people in other worlds. That God loves the people that are trying to destroy this country. 
or this community. And we have to love people the way God loves people or we can never show them the love of God if we can't show them we're not any different from the rest of the world. And so Matthew 9, Jesus is walking along and he sees this crowd of people. He, this is the prayer for the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Not our harvest, his harvest. So, Jesus saw people in a crowd. He didn't just see a crowd. You know, you can go to a game, you can go to an event, and you see a big crowd, but you may not see individual people. God sees people in a crowd. And he sees the potential of those people if they give their hearts to him and let him radically change and transform their lives. Hudson Taylor, who was the great leader, one of the greatest missionaries in 2,000 years of Christian history, was the one who established the China Inland Mission. And Hudson Taylor was used by God. He, in fact, he adopted the Chinese culture. He began to wear the clothes to identify with the culture. He wanted to make sure that he blended in as much as he could into that culture. And this is what he prayed. I had no doubt, but that if I prayed for fellow workers in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be given. I had no doubt, but that in answer to such prayer, the means for our going forth would be provided and that doors would be opened before us. Every day, tens of thousands in that land were passing into Christless graves. <clears throat> if you read the paper today, or any paper, you will find an obituary. If you read it tomorrow, you'll find an obituary. Warren Wiersbe said, people are dying that have never died before. Some of you will get that after your third cup of coffee. And th those obituaries will have a lot of things in them. They'll have where they went to school and who their family is and who they're survived by and where, where to make memorial gifts to and what their degree is in and who they liked and all this kind of stuff. And they can be short or they can be long. But the one thing the obituary never includes saved or lost. And that's the only thing that matters. The only thing that matters is if a person is saved or lost because every person that ends up in the obituary, and all of us will end up there one day, every person in the obituary is either saved or lost. We don't get any do-overs. This, this is no dress rehearsal. We have one life and then it's over. And then we spend eternity either in heaven or we spend eternity in a Christless hell. But there's no in-between. There's no area we go to to get prayed out of. Somebody made that up to make people feel better and make money. But it is not truth according to Scripture. When we die, we go into eternity. We don't come back. There's no reincarnation. You know, Shirley MacLaine comes back. She's going to come back as a toaster. Uh, but, uh, I mean, there's no reincarnation you know, if you come back, you'll probably be a gnat, which means you'll just aggravate people for the three days you're alive again. But you and I have been called into this world to share the gospel 
of Jesus Christ. Gospel simply means good news. J.D. Greer said, the shortage is on our unbelief that he is as compassionate and powerful as the gospel says he is. If God is really willing and able to save as the gospel indicates he is, and the key reason he doesn't pour out that power is because you and I never ask him to, doesn't that make us responsible in part for the blood of millions who might have been saved but weren't because we never ask? It's easy to pray for the lost in general. But do we pray for lost people by name? It's easy to pray for missions in general and for missionaries in general. But do we pray for them by name? Because when we pray for people by name, God begins to put on our heart not just an idea or a thought, but the life and the heart of somebody else. The specific praying for specific people for God to do a specific work. Maybe in your Bible study class. Maybe in a, in a small group that you meet with. Maybe around your dinner table. That there's a time when you pray for people by name. Because you know God loves them and you want them to understand the great love of God. William Law said, there is nothing that makes us love a man so much as praying for him. So are we willing to get on the same page? I want you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 9. Paul, this is an incredible passage of scripture in God's word. God's word being inerrant and infallible. This is an incredible passage that talks about how great the heart of the apostle Paul was for his fellow Jews. Remember, Paul was a Jew. He was from Tarsus. He had, was a Jew of Jews. He had been trained in the high schools of Gamaliel. He got saved on the road to Damascus. His life changed. He spent the rest of his life primarily planting churches, three missionary journeys, and took the gospel as far as the capital of the Roman Empire before he was martyred for his faith. Paul knew that he was to take the message to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 9 tells us that he must suffer many things for my sake. He was going to suffer for taking the gospel to the Gentiles. One, persecution from the Gentiles, but two, he was also going to suffer because of the fact that the Jews had rejected Jesus as Messiah. And he wanted them to see that Jesus was their Messiah, their promised one, that he was the fulfillment of all the scripture. Paul had not seen it when Jesus was alive, but after the resurrection, he had come to discover that. And so Paul prays this prayer and makes these statements and says, I would be willing to give up my salvation and spend eternity in hell if my Jewish brethren would come to faith in Christ. Moses had done the same thing when the people rebelled and God said, I'll just wipe all the people out and I'll start over with you. And Moses interceded on their behalf and said, just take me. So the question has to come to us, how passionate and how compassionate are we when it comes to people that don't know Christ? Do we see them and shrug our shoulders or do they, do they bring a burden onto our hearts that we cannot get rid of? So here's, here's Paul. There's no way to deal with all of this 
theologically in this message, but, but Paul is sharing his heart, and God heard his heart. And so in the infallible, inerrant word, in a statement that Paul makes that is theologically impossible, God let us have a few verses to say, this is the kind of heart you ought to have for people that don't know Jesus. It's phenomenal. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying there, I'm not making this up and I'm not just trying to tell a preacher's story here. That I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites. Now notice what all these people have, all the blessings that the Israelites have. To whom belong the adoption as sons, and the glory, and the covenants, and the giving of the law, and the temple service, and the promises, whose are the fathers, and from whom is the Christ, according to the flesh, who is over all, God bless forever. Amen. Paul says they've got it all, except Jesus. And that's what religion is. Religion can have it all. It can have the, not the temple service, but church service and understanding the law. And you can want the Ten Commandments on the courthouse. And you can want a thousand things that are good and religious and not know Jesus. And not care about people knowing Jesus. And so he's writing this and he's saying, My heart's desire is if I could take the place of all of my brethren and God would send me to hell knowing the joy of the salvation that I have in Christ, I would be willing to spend eternity in hell if my Jewish brethren would come to Christ. He says, I'm grieving, I'm burdened, I have an unceasing torment in my heart. He says, I'm willing to be accursed or anathema. To wipe away my salvation. Now, obviously, theologically this can't happen. God doesn't say, well, I'll take him instead. Theologically this can't happen. But this is the emotional passion, the heart of a man who loved his people. So i got to ask myself the question when I read that. How much do I love people? Am I willing to even be inconvenienced to love someone? Do I love people the way God loves people? Brethren, my heart's desire, Romans 10, and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. You could just take out the word Israel right there and put Albany or Dawson or Sylvester or Leesburg or Southwest Georgia or America, whatever you want to put. You could put it there that that should be our prayer, that our heart's desire and prayer to God is that they might be saved. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some, 1 Corinthians 9. We pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. Now, in in studying for this, and and I wrote about this in the the Power of Persistence book, and, and Don Miller helped me to understand this, and Ron Dunn helped me to understand it. It's hard to find anybody that writes a lot on how to pray for the lost. But it is something we need to be doing because we need lost people on our hearts. But I found a track years ago, back in the 1970s, from Back to the Bible, and it says this, I have taken my place of authority in Christ, and I'm using it against the enemy. 
I've not looked at myself to see if I'm fit or not. I've just taken my place and have prayed that the Holy Spirit may do his convicting work. If each and every member of the body of Christ would do this, what a change would be made in this world. When I read that, I have to ask myself a question. Have I taken my place? Am I doing what God called me and saved me to do? I'm not talking about as a preacher. I'm just talking about as a believer in Jesus Christ. Am I sharing the gospel the way I need to share the gospel? Can I tell you? I'll just, you know, just be honest. We're just family. I'll just be honest. It's a whole lot easier for me, a whole lot easier for me to get on an airplane and to put my earbuds in and to turn on the screen if I'm on a long flight and ignore the person sitting next to me and not say a word to them. It's easy to do that because that's what everybody else is doing on the plane because nobody wants to talk to anybody. This week, I'll get on a plane to go to Las Vegas, and I'm not gambling, so I'm just... I'll get on a plane to go to Las Vegas to do a men's conference on Friday and Saturday and then preach four times on Sunday morning at Life Church in Las Vegas, which is uh, Paul Gotthard's church, one of the guys that preached at Refresh uh, this past year. And so there are a number of churches coming together for a men's conference, and they've asked me to come out and do that. I have a three-and-a-half-hour flight to Las Vegas. You think anybody else on that flight is going to be flying to go do a men's conference or speak at a church in the summer to Las Vegas? I don't think so. We've gone there several times with Refresh, and people will get off a plane, and there are slot machines, right? I mean, right when you get off the plane, you don't even have to go to a casino. You could live in the airport and lose your life savings. And I'm just surrounded by the thought of the lostness and the helplessness and the sense of no purpose in life that if I pull a lever, one day I'm going to be happy. If I play the right cards, one day I'm going to be happy. And one of the great church planting movements in America today, and one of the greatest growth of churches in America today is in Las Vegas. And we don't think about Las Vegas as a church place, but I want to tell you, you know there that there are saved and lost and there's nothing in between when you go there. So I have to ask myself, Am I burdened enough to do anything different? Am, am I concerned enough? Are my feet taking me, my hands uh, working, my heart working, my head working to say, God, use me however you want to use me to share good news with somebody? I'm not responsible if they respond and say, yeah, let's just pray right here. We'll just pray on the plane before we land. I'm not responsible if they respond. I am responsible to give them the opportunity to respond and to respect them if they don't, then I throw rocks at them. So are we praying in agreement with God or just hoping something happens? You see, we need to care enough to pray until we pray enough to care. I need to care enough to pray until I pray enough to care so that God gets on my heart what's on his heart. You see the quote by Warren Wiersbe in your notes, it comes as a shock to some people to discover that Jesus is not praying for lost sinners today. Many have the idea that he is interceding in heaven for the lost, but he is not. He did that on earth. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But in heaven today, the Lord Jesus Christ is praying for his own. And why is he praying for us? 
because he gave us the great responsibility of reaching the lost world. Therefore, he is praying that we might get the job done. The church is in the world, not for itself, but for the sake of the lost. And our number one concern ought to be world evangelism. So you'll see in your notes a reference to Don Miller, who in 1990 uh, gave us these seven ways to pray for lost people. And you'll see on the back page of your note sheet different categories. Friends who need Jesus, family who need Jesus, work associates, schoolmates who need Jesus, relatives, neighbors who need Jesus. And three places for names in each one. So I want to give you how to pray for people. And then before you go to bed tonight, for you to put some names on that piece of paper. And my prayer in doing this message is that we would use this message and the notes from this message and that prayer list in our Bibles or on your phone or on your iPad that you would use it as your prayer list and have seven specific ways you pray for people. Just start with one. Just start with one or two or three. You don't say, man, I, I've got such a busy day, I don't have time to pray for 12 or 15 people. Just start with one. First thing, pray for them by name. Pray for them by name. It, it's, it's real easy to pray for the lost in general. Lord, I, I pray there 85% of Albany, Georgia is lost and unchurched. I pray that they'll be saved. It's easy to pray for them in general. I need to pray for them by name. So one of the things I do in my neighborhood, I do pray for every home. It's out there on our prayer board. And I've signed up for that and I get five names every day. It hits my phone at 4.32 in the morning, every morning. And I pray through my neighborhood. Sometimes I hit my street. I hit Devon. I hit Westgate. I hit, uh, I forgot what other streets, uh, Chatham maybe. But I hit, I hit the streets around me. 100 homes. I pray for five a day. So that my heart is for my neighborhood. So that when I stop and talk to one of my neighbors... I'm not just talking to him and say, hey, you know, get anything interesting in the mail today. I'm trying to build relationships and start talking to have the opportunity to share good news about Christ. So I pray for my neighbors. Some of them move. There's an empty house sits right next to me right now. I really need a good neighbor right there. I need a fellow missionary. Uh, but... Uh, there's an empty house. I'm praying for who's going to move into that house. Because they're not going to just move into that house, go to the lawyer, sign the mortgage, move in, move all their furniture in, and Michael Kapp say, not my problem. Because now they're my neighbor. I mean, they are arm's length away. It is my problem. And it's also my privilege. It's also my opportunity. So when I foresee a for sale sign go up, I know how to start praying. Praying that God will either send a believer that will help us fulfill the mission of reaching Albany, Georgia for Christ or a lost person that I can talk to about a relationship with Christ. Pray for them by name. Secondly, ask others to pray with you. Give them the names. Don't do the old Baptist thing, uh, unspoken prayer request. I mean, if you've got a lost husband or a lost wife or a lost child, Give somebody that name. Ask them that. They cannot pray with power if they're praying around the world but not praying specifically. Ask for names. Number three, 
Pray for their conviction. Pray that they'll be convicted of sin. Pray that they'll be convicted of their need for Christ. That they would understand that Christ is the one who can change their lives and take the emptiness and fill them up on the inside. Number four, pray for a contact. Might be you. Lord, I wish somebody would go talk to them. Could be you. Could be that God's put them on your heart because you're the one that needs to be the one to carry on the conversation. Number five, pray for them to get a seeking heart. That they would seek to know God. That they would understand that they need a relationship with Christ. Pray for them to have a seeking heart. Pray in faith for their salvation. We're not trying to get a reluctant God to agree with us. We are trying to get on the same page with a God who loves us and loves the people that we're praying for. Pray in faith for their salvation. And then pray in thanksgiving and praise and claim. All that simply means is there comes a time when you stop asking God to save them and God has spoken to your heart and you see circumstances beginning to come together and you start praising God. God, I don't know when and I don't know where and I don't know how, but I believe you've spoken to my heart and told me that person is going to give their life to you. And I'm going to praise you in advance that the devil's not going to win this one, the flesh is not going to win this one, God is going to win this battle. And so I praise you, I claim it, in the name of Jesus. Now, that's not just a false claim, pie in the sky, by and by kind of claim. That is, you have prayed until you've been burdened, and God somehow releases that burden off of you, and it turns a burden into a praise that you see and know that God's beginning to work. Paul wrote that the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 1 Corinthians 2, But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now, here's what we need to remember. Lost people don't understand us. Okay? They just don't. Why would... I mean, if, if you work all week long, why would you give up your day off to go to church? Why would you give up your day off to go to church twice? Why would you give it up to go to church on Wednesday night? Why would you give it to do, why do you do all this stuff? They don't understand us. But we understand lost people. We understand lost people. Why? Because we used to be lost. There's a man sitting in this room right now who texted me this past week, said, I'm on my way to talk to my grandfather. My grandfather doesn't know Jesus. His grandfather sat right there last week. His grandfather doesn't know Jesus. Grandmother came up to me and said, my husband needs Jesus. See, the only way he's going to be saved is if God removes the scales from his eyes and God convicts him but I am forever grateful for a church member that sent me a text message and said, I'm going right now to talk to my grandfather. Would you pray with me? And I sent that to every member of this staff and said, we need to stop and pray right now for his salvation. Did he get saved? No. But I want to tell you something. That's not an undivine appointment. That's a divine appointment. And God's going to get the last word in that because the hound of heaven is on that man's life now. 
He may not know it. He may not recognize it. But God sent the Holy Spirit and said, sick him. And he's on him, and he can't run and hide from God because God's got a big, big, wide path that he can make to get somebody's attention. We're in a battle for the souls of men for a lost world. And we can pray for the lost because we know how the lost think. We know how they act, and we know that they're blinded. Ron Dunn in his book, Don't Just Stand There, Pray Something, said an unsaved person does not have the capacity to see himself as a lost sinner or to understand the gospel message. No amount of human power, logic, or argument can penetrate the darkness of the unsaved mind. We can't explain the way of salvation simply enough for him to believe. The devil doesn't have to make him a drunkard or a murderer of a person to keep him from being saved. He only has to keep him blind to the gospel of Christ. In praying for the lost person, we are not forcing the person's will, we are freeing his will from the bondage of Satan. S.D. Gordon said, without any doubt, we may assure the conversion of those laid on our hearts by such praying. The prayer in Jesus' name, I love this statement by Gordon, the prayer in Jesus' name drives the enemy off the battlefield of man's will and leaves him free to choose right. So who's on your list? Who are your names? Who are your three? Who's your one? Who's the one person that you know you're going to see this week and you need to have a conversation with him? Who's the person you need to take to lunch and say, or take out for a cup of coffee and say, you know what, I'm buying, but I'm buying because I want to ask you a question. Do you know today that if you died, you'd go to heaven? If you were to stand before the gates of heaven and God were to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Well, I'm a member of a church. That's not going to get you in there. I've been baptized. That's not going to get you in there. Uh, I'm seriously a good person. I have good morals. That's not going to get you in there. The only thing that's going to get a person into the gates of heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for sin. Without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there is no remission of sin. Everybody you meet is either lost or saved. And we need to have conversations. We don't need to beat people over the head with the Bible. We just need to have conversations. And share what God did in our life. Well, I, I don't know enough scripture to do that. That's the devil talking to you. That's not God talking to you. I've watched people lead people to Christ that had just been saved. They didn't know any Bible, but they knew God had changed their life. Can I, can I tell you how to share your testimony? It's real simple. It takes you three minutes. You share your testimony by saying what I used to be, how God saved me, and what I am now. And don't spend two and a half minutes on what I used to be trying to prove to them how bad a sinner you are. What you need to prove to them is how great a God God is. And how good salvation is. So, you know, I used to be like you. I used to do this and this. But Jesus Christ came into my heart on this day and he changed my life. And let me tell you what he's done for me. He's changed my life. He's changed my family. He's changed my direction. He's changed my hope. He's changed my future. He's given me a purpose for life. He's given me meaning for life. Would you like a purpose and meaning in life? No, I don't want a purpose and meaning in life. 
you'd be surprised. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Uh, last week, I, I stood uh, outside, talked to a family. A uh, church member had uh, passed away. and So I went to the funeral. Ken did the funeral. Uh, by the way, I will say to you what I said to him. One of the best messages I've ever heard anybody do at a funeral. But you know what he did? He read the woman's testimony. He read her testimony as a part of his message. She had written it out. Joined a church when she was 16. One Sunday when Tom Elliff was preaching during Refresh, she gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Changed her life. After the funeral, I was talking to two church members, one of them that had worked with her. And they both sat there with me. I think Patrick was with me. There were a couple other people. And literally for about 10 minutes, with tears rolling down their face, talking about the privilege of telling people about Jesus. And I walked away from that conversation, one, convicted, but two, asking God to raise up that kind of army in this church where we pray for people that need Jesus. I'll tell you, I've, I've watched it work in a thousand places. I've watched it work. I've watched doctors come in. I remember my, when my mother had breast cancer and the doctor came in who was doing the surgery, who was a member of our church, and he literally put his hands on her face and said, now before I operate on you, I'm going to ask the great physician to help me and shared his testimony with her. They went to church together. He shared his testimony anyway and said, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, these hands could not be used for the glory of God, but God has given me a skill to use these hands to help people who are suffering. And in Jesus' name, I'm praying for him to help me help you. When Terry had her back surgery a couple of years, Ed Hellman, who used to be a member here, lives in Tif Tifton now. He came in the room before the surgery, and he's just got surgeries lined up back to back. He came in the room before the surgery, and he said, I want to pray for you. And he laid his hands on her, and he prayed for her. I want to tell you, folks, anywhere, any place, anytime, we have the opportunity to share good news. And it is good news. You ever seen anybody's face that just found out that there was good news? Watch the change in them. Watch their countenance. Watch the burden roll off of their life. Watch the guilt come out of their life. Watch the shame be removed and the Spirit of God go in. At the same moment, the shame goes out. Have you ever watched that happen to anybody's life? It is an incredible, incredible thing. What could God do if we all did? what he wanted us to do. If we all got on the same page with the Lord today. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the power of the gospel to change lives. I thank you for the freedom that 
Jesus Christ gives to people in bondage for the hope that can come to a person that is in despair and in defeat. Lord, I ask you in the strong name of Jesus to burn within our hearts a love for those that are sometimes hard to love, some within our families, some outside our families, some we work with, some we see on occasion. But would you burn within our hearts the need to be messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I thank you for the many people in this church that take seriously their faith. And I pray wherever we are, whether we're new believers or longtime saints, that we will find a way to yield our hearts to you and say, Lord, I'm here. Use me. Make me a vessel, an instrument of your peace and of your grace, your love and your mercy. Father, change us so that we can be about the business of changing this lost and dark world into a place of hope and freedom. Use this church as a lighthouse in this community to shine the light into hearts and homes and to say, I've got good news. For this world has been given a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and he will save his people from their sin. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.